it's time for your weekly dose of nostalgia with the 80s and 90s uncensored i am milo dennison and i'm jamie fenderson and today we're going to talk about trashy 90s daytime tv and to do that we have genevieve our pal genevieve back from celebrity catch-up life after that thing i did thanks for coming back yeah and and the yelling your name works perfect for today's subject too. the genevieve genevieve with um trashy daytime talk shows i feel like my name is one too many syllables for that to work very well it's just an extra syllable that adds awesomeness so Genevieve, you, you've had some interesting interviews since last we spoke. Uh, you had some good ones, <laughs> and I'm ready to hear about them. Can you tell us a little bit about, like, since last we spoke? Who you yeah, were? sure. Um, hello, by the way. I've not even said hello to you guys, but hello. Thanks for having me back again. Uh, yeah, since we last spoke, I've had some, uh, some, some 80s and 90s TV, film, and music legends. I think just after we spoke, I had Tiffany, 80s pop sensation Tiffany on the show. And it was a bit of a, I guess you could say she was like my white whale. I, I spent 18 months chasing her, trying to get her on the show. And for one reason or another, she canceled on me five times. Um, and sometimes actually stood me up during the call, which was fun. Oh. Uh, but I finally got her, nailed her down, got her on the show. So that was very nice to talk to her and she was lovely. And uh, and I've also had, you're probably not so well known in the States, but in the UK, there was a band called Bucks Fizz. And there, there's something, in Europe called the Eurovision Song Contest, which I think in America, you could try to do your own spin-off last year or a couple of years ago, the Great American Song Contest, I think you did. Um, I, uh, I introduced Jamie to Eurovision. Okay, how did you find it? <laughs> I, I, I personally hate it, but I don't remember. I think Jamie, you you liked it, didn't you? I kind of like it because it's, it's kind of weird, man, but it's cool. And then I watched that movie that Netflix did. The Will Ferrell one. Yeah, the Will Ferrell movie. So to me, it's, I don't know if I should be making fun of it because it's supposed to be kind of cool, but I think it's just goofy shit. But I like it. It, it is. Uh, but Bucks Fizz won for the United Kingdom in 1981. So they are somewhat pop legends in, uh, in the UK for what they achieved because since then, we haven't done very well in the Eurovision Song Contest, <laughs> so so we hold them in very high regard. Um, and then uh, a couple of weeks ago, my guest was the very lovely Jerry Springer, and you may have opinions about him, but I think it's important to separate the man from the show that he yep. presented. And my most recent guest was Jonathan Lipnicki, better known as the kid from Jerry Maguire and Stuart Little and Like Mike and the Little Vampire. Uh, but he's, he's actually been working steadily for like the last 25 years. You probably just haven't seen him in the majority of the stuff that he's done as such is the life of the majority of actors but that was a really interesting chat he's really honest about his mental health struggles and trying to shake off the stigma of being a child actor it's a really good chat if you want to have a listen yeah it's crazy the child actor thing because you hear so many horror stories and stuff and with him yeah he became huge as a little kid and mm -hmm. he's still, like you said, he's still working. Just nobody sees, really knows it because A, he looks totally different and he's not really anything like huge, I don't think. Yeah, he hasn't, he's, he's, I mean, he's done a lot of theatre and TV and film, but it's just the films that he's been in haven't been the the blockbuster films that uh, most people are familiar with. And, and I do say to him, like, I feel frustrated for him on his behalf because 
everyone hasn't seen every single TV show and every single film that's ever been made to know the work that he's done. You know, I, I do feel for actors who first became well-known when they were children, and obviously there's a market for kids in, in films, and then as they grow older, people either keep them in their mind as being this kid actor and never let them grow up. Or I think where this position Jonathan's in now is that the people who are maybe casting agents and people in positions of power remember him fondly and nostalgically. It's like, oh, I grew up with him. I loved it. Let's give him a chance rather than, hmm, that's a kid actor, tar him with, the, with that brush. And it must be difficult to always be reminded of something that you did when you were a kid, when you were maybe more well-known and successful than you are now. But such is the life of a, of a child actor, I guess. It can always happen, though. Look at Kehe Kwan, sh short round from Indiana Jones to Academy Award winning actor this year. Exactly. And Brendan Fraser as well, to an extent. Mm -hmm. we, we talk about that and how both those actors give child stars hope, I guess, because now they've had this renaissance later on in their careers. It kind of makes them think, yeah, it can happen to me as well. You just got to keep, keep at it and eventually things will come back around. Well, Jerry Springer, Jamie, numerous times on this show, has ranted against Jerry Springer and daytime trash TV talk shows. So uh, you want to take this one, Jamie? Yeah, it. and I was, so I, I have, I don't like daytime trash TV. And so when you did your interview with Jerry Springer, I was interested to listen to it because I wanted to learn more about Jerry who I consider like my nemesis culturally, but I was like, who is this guy? So there's, there's two, there's two things when I was listening to the interview that I came, came away with. First of all, it's firstly, Jerry is a really delightful guy. Actually. He's a he really is. nice guy. He is. He's, he's smart and he's funny. He's like, if Milo and I were hanging out with him, like out in the, in the dive bar, we'd probably just get him some beer and hang out because he's a very delightful guy. And secondly, we have in our minds sometimes, like it's called the Jerry Springer show, but it's it's kind of not, he, he talks about how he was just kind of assigned to it, right? Mm. So it's not like he came up with this show and, and produced the whole thing himself. This is something that a company made and kind of assigned him to it. And then it ended up successful. But it's not like he originated it or anything. So I think we have to remember that kind of thing because you look at like a lot of these trash wannabe news pundits and people think, well, they believe this or that. They they probably don't. They're just mouthpieces and they, they're given something that's written for them, right? Yeah. That's just kind of the two, thing, two things firsthand that I can think of is like Jerry is a, is a good guy and he didn't like – it's named after him, but he didn't make this show. A corporation made this show, just like companies make the pundit news, you know, stuff and the trashy, all the trashy stuff isn't necessarily like one person like Jerry Springer decided to do this. So that that's one thing that really kind of resonated with me is the fact that he's a, he's a, he just kind of, this was his job. Yeah. And I mean, I, obviously from from the uk we the first we heard of jerry springer was when the jerry springer show became popular and it came over to england so we had no concept that prior to the jerry springer show he was already well known in america he was already famous he was the um 
uh, mayor of Cincinnati. He had been uh, on a councilman for 10 years. He'd been a news anchor for a decade before he did the Jerry Springer show. And yeah, he was assigned to this role because um, NBC wanted to create a new show. They wanted to rival um, Sally, Jesse, Raphael and, and um, Donahue and uh, is that right? His name's Phil Donahue, right? Yeah. yeah Phil Donahue. <laughs> and um, they wanted to make a show to rival Oprah and they assigned him to this this job and the first couple of seasons the network thought this is very boring it was very straight it was a straight talk show they there was politics and serious topics and then the show got bought by universal and um universal made this rule of the show has to be outrageous now and that's the way that it went and jerry thought that um they noticed when ricky lake first came on air it was geared towards a young audience and young audiences were watching it so they thought well everyone's trying to chase oprah's audience let's chase ricky's audience because there's less competition and so every once in a while they used to do a, a kind of an outrageous controversial topic not like big outrageous but i think they did one that had the um the KKK on and that caused a fight on stage. And after that ratings, you know, if they noticed ratings went high, whenever they did an outrageous episode and Universal were like, let's do more of that. And that's the way that it came. The show could only do that. They couldn't do sensible in quote topics. They couldn't do straight interviews. It always had to be outrageous. And so those were the topics that had to be. And, and Jerry was just the host for this. He wouldn't know who the guests were. A set of producers and researchers would book the guests. They bring them on. Jerry would effectively play the role of the audience member. He comes on and says, hi, Bob, what's going on? And the person tells him and Jerry just follows up with asking questions about what this person's life is like and why they do the things that they do. We talk about the infamous episode where the guy married his horse and, you know, you can see Jerry's disbelief. It was never actually aired on TV because it was too controversial, but you can find it online. And, um, you know, the questions that he was asking was all like, well, you know, you're sick, right? This is, un this is not normal for you to be married to your horse and for you to be, you know, it's like that line from um, Truth About Cats and Dogs where Janine Garofalo says, you can love your pets, but you can't love your pets. And and that's that was him. He was doing, he, he loved his horse a little bit too much. And um, you can see Jerry's face. He's like in disbelief, like, why are you doing this? You need help. Yeah, it wasn't his decision who the guests were. He was just there to ask the questions and facilitate the conversation. But I think people have trouble separating the man from the content that was on the show. Um, and I think that's really unfortunate. But as you say, he is a really nice guy. He's really down to earth, humble. He doesn't think he's a famous person. We talked about quite a lot of things in the interview and, and I, it totally caught me off guard. We weren't expecting it, but he actually cried in the middle of our interview, um, which was quite touching. Um, and I've had other people actually message me since saying that they cried listening because he was crying because it was quite emotional. But um, he's, you know, he's, he's a human being at the end of the day. He's just a, you know, he is a really nice guy. And I think it's a shame people can't separate him from the show. Um, but I can totally see why people say the things they do about the show because it is controversial. But that was what it was always meant to be to get the ratings. It's funny with him because, yeah, we we blame Jerry Springer like, oh, it's his fault that these people get on air. And it's really not. It's like, A, it's our fault for watching it. And B, it's the people's fault for, who go on the show because they go, they, they contact the show. Like, and he even yeah. said, it, he's like, we don't reach out to them. They contact us and we filter through all these people that contact us to come on the show. So, yeah, Jerry's just doing his job, asking questions. Yeah. 
And the thing that I was quite surprised about was that um, before they come on the show, guests are given a list of all the potential things that the show could be about. And they have to agree to every single one of those things or they don't get on the show. So it's never a surprise when they turn up. It's, you know, they know that um, potentially their partner could be cheating on them or there might be a, a paternity test or, or something like that. You know, they, they know that that's a possibility. So it's, it's nothing's a, a real surprise. And apparently the most, um, the most thing that the topic that most guys were afraid of was ticking the box that says my girlfriend might be pregnant. <laughs> like, oh no, I don't want that one to happen. Not that my girlfriend cheated on me, but that my yeah. girlfriend might be pregnant one. Like, oh, yeah. oh which is worse? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have to remember that these shows are produced by corporations, right? Ultimately. And here's my problem with them is the corporate man will, will generate stuff to appeal to the lowest common denominator to the reptilian part of everyone's brain and and then they'll just be like well it gets ratings and it makes us money so that's cool like whatever and that's the that's the problem i have with it as i i think that that these things are kind of culturally damaging because i know jerry says people call it trash and he has his own like justification but i'm still saying it's trash <laughs> it's tr it's trash. So which daytime talk shows do you watch, Jamie? I don't watch daytime talk shows. Well, maybe if you watched a quality daytime talk show, I don't it would encourage I've got other things to do, man. I've got I've got podcasting to do, man. I don't have time for that. <laughs> but Jerry, I, he he's a smart guy. He was a lawyer and he, he in in his interview with you, he he gave a justification for the show, right? Yeah. And his justification, well, he said he said some interesting things. I have my own counter to them, but he did say some interesting things. He had a good argument in that, look, when these celebrities go on and they're all trashy on the late night TV shows, well, they're wealthy and attractive, so we don't call that trash. And he's like, well, but when poor people come on my show and they're acting the fool, whatever, then we call it trash because they're they're poor. And he was saying this is the only time that these poor people can come on and get to say what they want to say because they're never going to get on late night TV show because they're not rich and wealthy and beautiful and famous. And he's got a point there. But here, here's my counter argument to that is late night TV show when you have those celebrities going on and acting trashy and peddling their books and you know acting acting the fool it's still trash whether you call it trash or not it's it's just wealthy attractive people trash the reality shows with all these beautiful people acting trash is still trash it's still lowest common denominator reptilian garbage and so trash is still trash whether it's behind the mansion or whether it's behind the news uh, building in in Manhattan or whether it's in the trailer park it's still trash that's my argument to it. It's it trash is trash and it all goes to the same dump, man. But I think his point is more that people don't see it all as trash. People will see um, a celebrity going on a talk show and talking about their drug problem or their drink problem um, or the problems in their life or whatever. And they are 
celebrated. People will still go and pay money to go and see their movies. They will buy their music. They are still celebrated as celebrities and they're supported. And people's reaction to them is like, isn't it great that they're being so honest about their drug problem and being open and honest and vulnerable about their lives? And yet when ordinary people go on talk shows like Jerry Springer and they say it, the attitude is more like, oh, look at them. These people are trash and they're more likely to be made fun of and persecuted because people just feel less accepting of them. Jerry's argument is that the criticism is elitist. People say that, oh, these people are trash because we're better than them. We know better than them. But the people that are famous are like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's fine. They're, you know, Jerry said that the arguments, the, um, the complaints that they had was never really about the the topics that people talked about it was the people specifically that they had a problem with it was always the people that they make fun of for being these are trash not the topics they talked about just the people yeah and i don't think jerry's wrong there actually and maybe to your point milo it's it's people like people's attitude is really the problem right it's well people have the attitude that celebrities because they have a lot of money and they you know are in some reality shows or whatnot that they get a free pass and we should tell them how brave they are but these kind of people from the trailer park doing kind of the same thing and they're just trash i don't disagree with that and i think maybe my my problem is more with the the way americans think than anything else but here's the thing i i think shows like jerry springer are exploiting that that reptilian brain shows like those late night shows are exploiting that shows like these stupid reality shows where they're just bickering all the time you know even the news nowadays is this way it's like how can we how can we appeal to the to the reptilian brain in people so we can get ratings and we can get money that's the problem i have with it it's a business that's that's the way business works. How do you make money? You know, it's not just there, though. I mean, they have, uh, Genevieve, you were telling us before we started recording that they had a similar show in the UK for a while. Yeah, obviously, the, they showed Jerry Springer's show in the UK for um, a period of time. Um, it stopped uh, late. I changed channels and then it kind of stopped, I think, early noughties because there was some contract dispute. Um, and then we tried launching our own versions of the Jerry Springer show and the most successful was a show called the Jeremy Kyle show. I believe that Jeremy Kyle went to the States as well and he had a show over there for a little while. We tried to replicate it and it was in the same vein as Jerry Springer, except it kind of went a bit further where they used to do a lot of DNA paternity tests and reveal on the show whether someone was actually the birth father or mother of, of somebody else. Uh, and also the difference was that whereas Jerry would just stand there and ask questions about what was going on, Jeremy Kyle was a lot more argumentative with the guests. He was always very angry with them. He would shout at them. He would say to them directly, you're a bad person, you're terrible, you're scum, you're this, that, and the other. And it would rile up the audience and there would be fights on stage and all that kind of stuff. And, um, it all kind of came to a head a couple of years ago when one of the guests on the Jeremy Kyle show, uh, it was a episode where he took a lie detector test because his partner wanted to know if he'd been cheating on her and he failed the lie detector test. And a week after he went on the show before it was broadcast, but after the show had been recorded, so obviously the the test showed that he'd lied, had the argument with the, his partner. He took his own life. 
and they found that he took his own life as a direct consequence of him being on the show and what the show put him through in terms of emotional stress and the show got cancelled they the network decided to cancel the show and thought this was irresponsible tv and there was lots of conversations in in um uk parliament government about whether shows like this should exist and it went off the air and hasn't come back since and there aren't any other shows like that on tv now here and it really sparked a big debate about duty of care in terms of tv productions not just talk shows but reality tv shows as well we have another show called love island which is um kind of like a dating show basically you get beautiful men beautiful women put them in a villa in a nice tropical place and couple them up and then while you're coupling them up bring in other beautiful people and get them to cheat on each other and then couple up again. Um, and, uh, and, um, it's, but it's very successful amongst a certain demographic here in the UK. And, uh, there've been two, two contestants that were on love Island that have taken their, their own lives after being on that show. And, it sparked a lot of debate should these shows exist what's happening with the duty of care and the it, it, it actually it in a did a good thing in that it because it sparked the conversation a lot more production companies are aware of it now so they do offer psychologists while people are on the show and support after they've been on the show but it raised the question of like how long should a production offer support for they offer support for six months after on Love Island and they, the, the network made a good point. They can't offer aftercare forever when you've been on this show. They asked to stop at a point. You accept that you're on the show. This happened. You get some support for six months after. After that, you're on your own. You know, you then have to deal with it. And I think that's fair enough. But, you know, it, it is. I'm not sure what the what's the duty of care like in the States over these kind of things. Do you know? Probably not much. They probably do some questionnaire before the show and be like, okay, yeah, check, check, check. They're fine. Let them on the show. Well, it's probably more legalistic here. Like, hey, you signed all these waivers and legal papers. So, like, regardless of what you do, you're we're not legally bound to you. Kind yeah. of deal. It's very le legal here. But I think if you need a psychiatrist, like, during and after you go on a show – then there's something wrong with that show, man. <laughs> there's well, something wrong the with it. the show or the person, though? I mean, the person obviously has issues, and the show just kind of brought those issues out, don't you think? But the, here's the thing, Miles. The show's bringing those issues out for to, as kind of this freak show for everyone else to see. If they have issues, they probably should go see a psychiatrist, regardless of if they're on the show or not, right? If you're, mm -hmm. if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're sleeping with a horse, you should probably go see someone about that. And Jerry Springer's not the guy you should go see. You should go see a damn doctor, not be on, not be on a freak show. That's my point, dude. Do you think any of those people are just saying that kind of stuff just so they can be on the show? Like maybe not the horse guy, but maybe some of the other ones are like, I just want to be There have been instances TV. where they found people who kind of make up stories. I don't know if it's all the time, but there have been instances about that. Yeah, there's been controversy with Jerry Springer where uh, guests have pretended um, various things to get on the show and have fooled producers and researchers to get on the show because they want their five minutes of fame. Um, so, you know, that has definitely happened. But, you know, I'm just thinking you know, if we expand the trash TV out a bit wider to something like Big Brother, for example, the very first series of Big Brother that was on was brilliant. 
because that was the first time it was on. No one knew what to expect. It was a psychological and sociological experiment that no one had ever seen before. And it was great and no one knew what to expect. So for those reasons, you would need to have psychologists in to say, you know, how are you feeling? Cause you're in this very pressure cooker situation. No one knows how they're going to react when they're in that situation because it was so unique and it was new. Now that the series continues on and on and on, people know what to expect. They know how to play the game. They know what they need to do to get more airtime and stuff. And so, you know, they still provide a, a psychologist in those situations because they're still in that pressure cooker situation and dealing with different personalities that you may not have to deal with every day in your life. So, you know, maybe that's different. I can see why they would do that. You you might not, while you may know kind of what situation you're getting into, if you're suddenly having to live with 15 strangers and one of them maybe is a racist or has politics that's completely different to you and you don't socialize with these type of people before, I can imagine that might set you off in a way that hasn't before and you'd need some help for that. And similarly, people have can have no idea what their behavior is or how the editing is going to end up by producers that may portray them as a villain or something that they're not actually are because they, you know they're condensing 24 hours into one hour of TV. And then when they come out of the house, suddenly, oh, all this stuff is kicked off that they just totally weren't expecting because social media then gets involved and then what people are saying about them it all blows up into something that maybe they weren't expecting. It's just all very dystopian to me. It's all very dystopian, man. It's like back in the eighties when you're like watching movies about what if TV was like gladiatorial and we got all these people together in a room to do social experiments live. Like, and that stuff's happening now, man. It's, it's crazy. It's dystopian to me. I don't think it's good. Yeah. And, and, you know, the producers as well, when they're doing like the pre-interviews, they're picking people that they're going to create conflict. Like what you were saying, Genevieve, like yeah. putting a racist against in the room with this. I, I, uh, I got a call once about going on, like not one of these types of shows, but more, more of those like contest type shows where you got to do obstacles and live on a desert Island kind of stuff. And, uh, and the questions they were asking were stuff like that. Like, are, are you, are you willing to cheat to win? And you know, what would you do for, you know, a hundred thousand dollars? Like, would you lie to people? And, you know, like all those kind of questions. Cause they want to figure out like, if we put you on here, will you create enough conflict to make interesting TV? And then, and then, you know, can we potentially edit that away to potentially make a person a villain or whatever? So it, mm -hmm. it is interesting stuff, how they set those up, but I'm sticking with my initial argument that it's it's on the audience like if people are watching it you, you can blame their reptilian brain jamie but you know we still have control over the crap that we watch and if you watch crap then the producers are going to make then it you got a reptilian know? brain it's, that you can't control i agree with you that's why i say it's reptilian brain because people are watching it and they're and the corporations are making money on it so they're going to keep feeding it to you that's why people go to the freak shows back in the 19th century, right? It's the same but deal. The thing to me. that I've learned from watching Jerry Springer and Jeremy Kyle is that there is someone for everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's true. How romantic. Even if it's a horse, there is someone for everyone. There's somebody for everyone. <laughs> 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 Hello, Wilbur. <laughs> what a happy note to leave the show on. 
Well, audience, if you would like to listen to Genevieve's interview with Sherry Springer, which uh, is very informative and very good, you can find her on Celebrity Catch-Up, Life After That Thing I Did. It's at celebritycatchup.com. You can find her on Twitter at Celeb Catchup Pod and Instagram at Celebrity Catchup Podcast. I'll, of course, throw these links in the show notes so you can just click on them. For myself and Jamie, you can find us on the web at the80sand90s.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the80sand90s.com. And with that, we will say we are out of here. No, you're out of here. You don't know me. No, you don't know me. Oh, yeah. You want some of this? Oh, wait, let's go. You want some of this? Let's go. You are the father. I'm not the father. (laughs) 